Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and I'm the older brother of Matthew Farrell, who is also here lurking in the shadows. <laughs> As usual. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about Matthew's most recent episode. We're going to be taking a leapfrog move and skipping over his recent solar panel episode so that we can jump on the most recent one, which is also the result of pretty big news day for Tesla as a company and for, I think, vehicles yeah. in general. And that would be his most recent episode, Three Takeaways from Tesla's Battery Day. Hint, it's not just batteries. September 26th, 2020 is when this episode dropped. And before we get into that, I just wanted to point out that this episode of the podcast is the perfect demonstration of how technology really has ruined face-to-face <laughs> -face communication <It's> <laughs> and spending time with loved ones. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I say that because this past weekend, we are I recording this. Just you. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this on a Monday. And this past weekend, despite the pandemic, my girlfriend and I had reason to travel to visit family. It was all done with social distancing. It was all done very carefully, masks and backyards only. But we went to visit family on her side of the family. And that event went well on Saturday. And then just coincidentally, her family and Matthew live in the same town. And yes, we do. <laughs> this is not because all of us are from the same place. This is really just random chance. Serendipity. <laughs> Her family ended up settling in the same town where Matthew lives. So the next day after staying the night in a hotel, my girlfriend and I went by and visited Matthew and his wife. Prior to the visit, my girlfriend said, you guys should be able to record your podcast in person. And <laughs> both Matthew and I had the same response, which was, that would be far more difficult than just doing it the way we normally do it. Yes. So here we are Monday. I'm back in Brooklyn. He's back in Boston and we are recording the podcast long distance as we always did because technology <laughs> has destroyed face-to-face <laughs> -face communication. It's so, it, it is funny how it's easier to do it this way than face-to-face. Yeah. -face. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Just thinking about the logistics of well, second microphone, one computer, very small office, no room for a second yeah. chair, second room, uh, second computer. <laughs> uh, I'll just do it when I'm back in Brooklyn. Yep. <laughs> yep. So on to the episode. Three takeaways from Tesla's battery day. You broke this down into your three big takeaways. And one yes. of them, you relied on talking about first principles, the first principles approach exhibited by Tesla. Yes. And I was wondering if you could go a little deeper into sort of stepping away from the battery news itself and into what you mean by the first principles approach. What was it that you saw Tesla flexing that made you say, that's a great, that's a great uh, exercise that they're conducting? 
I like the, the use of the word flexing because that's that that's what the entire day felt like to me was them flexing, going, "This is how you do it." Right, <laughs> Just flexing their biceps. I kept getting the impression you, in your video you kept showing clips of Elon Musk and his other the other members on the stage, and it was clearly engineers and people who were talking yeah. to the audience, and it seemed interesting. It was almost done, almost like a Lollapalooza, as opposed to, <laughs> yeah. It was obvious that this a year ago, two years ago, would have been indoors. It would have been a magnificent giant screen behind them. And it would have been um, in some sort of conference center. And instead, this looked like it was an outdoor concert venue. They were on a yes. stage. The sun is shining. The wind is blowing. And like, clearly, they're thinking in terms of like avoiding virus impact yep. on an audience. I just kept thinking, it looks like a bodybuilder exhibition like these guys are up on stage <laughs> and like they're just going Ooh, check it out Delt. <laughs> well the thing that about first principles thinking that it just the entire event every detail they w went through the whole part of first, first principles thinking is to look at a problem don't do it the way it's been done before but say well if we were going back to square one trying to achieve the same thing how would we go about doing that? Where you look at the auto industry and they typically don't do that. It's very small iterations on what's been done before. And when Tesla started, they were roundly criticized for over automating their process and making really weird choices for how they were going to build their factory and how they were manufacturing their cars. Because that's not how we do it in Detroit. That's not how we do it in big auto. That's not how it's done. We've already made all these mistakes. Why are you doing it this way? It sounds well, like you're talking about a willingness to experiment. Yes. So it's, it's like a double-edged sword. There's a downside to it because you can end up making similar mistakes that were made before that you could have just totally skipped over if you had just done it the way it was done before. Right. But you're passing up opportunities. And what this entire event was, it was just rapid gunfire of, well, here's how we went back to square one and rethought how, you know, we're going to roll the battery up. Here's how we went back and rethought how we're going to be including silicon into the cathode. Here's how we went back and rethought how to do X, Y, and Z. And they just went through point after point after point. Every single one of them is doing things that nobody has ever done before in battery production, in car manufacturing, because it's been considered too hard or they just, just haven't done, done it that way. It's like, why would you do it that way? The R&D that it would be take to do this, the amount of money we'd have to spend to figure that out isn't, you won't get the return on investment back. Well, their Tesla came out and basically just did all of that and they showed why they're doing it and how much money they're going to save and how much it's going to improve the product. And it was just... That to me was the big takeaway was first principles thinking, them rethinking how cars should be made, how batteries should be made. And they just flexed on the entire industry and said, this is why you guys are falling behind because look what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's something that Elon had said num a number of years ago where he said, the way that Tesla's going to stay ahead is with how fast we can innovate. And watching this event was like the payoff of that statement he made several years ago. It's like, well, here's what he was talking about. And then in this event, he said the thing that's going to set Tesla apart because other other people are going to create batteries that are as good as these batteries. Other people are going to catch up on this stuff and this stuff. The only way that Tesla is going to stay ahead is we're going to be the best manufacturer in the world. And so it's like, 
So for me, it was like him dropping the next gauntlet. It's like he just showcased what you can do when innovation is number one priority. And now he's can't, can't come out and said, now factories and manufacturing is our top priority and we're going to be the best in the world. So it's like in five years, it's going to be crazy to imagine where they are because there's time, real time and then there's Elon time <laughs> where right. he makes predictions of when things are going to happen and they don't happen on that time scale, but they do happen. So right. it's like he says one to three years for this stuff to roll out. It might be four, five years. Right. Who knows? But what I took away from the whole event was this is them saying this is the next decade of what Tesla is going to be doing. And so it's going to be really exciting to see where this goes. And what got me even more excited was it takes one company to come out and do this and mm -hmm. be successful at it to make every other company just pivot and start doing the same thing. Right. We saw it with Apple and the smartphone industry, and it gets me so excited about what they're doing now in, in the auto industry because you know they're having success. They're one of the top-selling car makers. They're the only car maker right now that's actually seeing growth. Every other car company is seeing a decrease in sales. Mm. So it's like you know every other auto company is going to start to pivot and try to replicate some of what they're doing because they're seeing Tesla success. And so right. it's like it's... They're getting dragged along kicking and screaming. But for me, the the underlying thing of everything in that event was first principles thinking, innovation, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the percentages, maybe you do, but I do know that an overwhelming, it may not be a majority, but an overwhelming percentage of the cell phone um, market is Apple. That it's uh, people who own a cell phone almost in the United States. Overwhelming, yeah, overwhelmingly own an Apple phone. I wonder- Not, not in the world though. Right, but not it's, the, not the my world. question is, do you think that there's the ability on Tesla's part to fill that kind of market demand? If you looked at Apple as, well, they were able to produce those millions and millions of phones in order to have that be the case in the US. And do you think car manufacturing seems like such a different monster that can Tesla match the output of a Ford? Yes. Your, your assessment of Apple, I think, is off because they don't have the majority share or even close to it. If you look at the mobile market, it's something like 70% of smartphones are Android. Mm. So Apple is far from a monopoly. They are... They are <laughs> When you look at the number of Android phones at large, they dwarf Apple. If you look at the number of Apple devices to Samsung devices or to Sony devices or to LG devices, they are a huge player. That's what but, I meant. I meant that yes. they out they outsell on a on a device to device measurement, not uh, operating system or correct. Yeah. Yes, but but when you but you kind of have to look at it as the platform for for that specific thing because. Mm -hmm collectively there's android phones just dominate the world um apple is a very influential player because they are so uh profitable and they have such uh brand loyalty and that's where i look at tesla and they have incredible brand loyalty right now incredibly high customer satisfaction they're building not just one factory right now they're building multiple factories right now <laughs> So it's like mm -hmm. there's going to be a point at which in a 
few years, they'll, they'll be producing a million cars a year, two million cars a year. They're never going to be GM, you know, producing gobs of cars, but they are going to be a large enough player and a profitable enough player and have enough of the mind share of the public that it's going to just drive right. every other company to shift. That's where I would say they're very much like Apple. It's like, even though they don't have, you know, 70% of the market, they have 70% of the mind share. Mm-hmm. It's like, it doesn't matter if you're actually buying an Apple product. Everybody knows Apple. Everybody it's been impacted by Apple. Correct. So right. it's like, that to me is what Tesla is doing right now in the auto industry. It's like Apple in 2000. It's basically what we're seeing right now. And is the measuring unit of cars a gob? A gob? Yes. Because you said <laughs> they would be selling gobs of cars. Gobs. That is the official, I think that's the official, I think that's the official term. Yes. yes. Of a collection of cars in the, yes. a murder of crows, a gobs of cars. Yeah, exactly. Okay. My next question is how many years ahead of the industry do you think Tesla is? You had a couple of images where you talked about GM's development of its similar technology along the lines of what Tesla is doing. Same thing with with VW. It's it's difficult to say as a number because there's different aspects of the business. Like in battery technology, they might be this number of years ahead, but then in manufacturing, they're only this number of years ahead. It's like- Right. My, my rough estimate would probably be they're probably three to five years ahead of everybody else in kind of what they're doing as a whole. Mm-hmm. But then if you broke it down to specifics like charging networks, they're right. easily five years ahead of charging and charging networks from everybody. And when it comes to the battery technology, they're easily five years ahead of everybody else. Part of the problem is that other car companies are not designing EVs from the ground up. They're taking existing cars or trying to cr- design cars that can be a hybrid, a hybrid model where in the manufacturing plant, they can build a car, the same design, either as an EV or as a gas car. That's not how you design a successful EV because you're not designing to the strengths of an EV. And right. in this event, when they showcased, yeah, we're actually just kind of putting the batteries in as the floor of the car and it get, kind of gets rid of the pack because the car is the pack. We shaved off so much weight, it actually offsets the weight of the battery. It's like, well, Bob's your uncle. There you go. Right. <laughs> Every other car company is going to have a much heavier car, which means lower range and higher cost. So it's like, <laughs> it's those kind of things that put them like at least five years ahead of everybody else. So for everybody, they have how many gigafactories now and they're building more? It's like, how long is it going to take GM to build out five gigafactories? They're just, they're working on their first right right now in Ohio. And it's not supposed to be basically up to full speed until 2022. So this is where it's like, it depends on what aspect of the business you're talking about. In some aspects of the business, they're just way beyond everybody else. And we've had this conversation before, but I wonder if there's been any evolution to your thinking around a car manufacturer that just simply is not going to be pivot, going to be able to pivot fast enough. Do you see a car company that's just basically like stumbling along and you're just like, (laughs) say goodbye to them? Fiat Chrysler. Mm. (laughs) It's like GM is doing moves that are interesting. They're not moving fast enough, but at least they're showing signs of life. Ford is doing the same thing. Um, 
they're I would say Ford is behind GM, but they're at least making some kind of moves in the right direction. And I remember the Ford cars were the ones in one of your previous videos where they showed some of their concept vehicles and and vehicles that are actually going to come to market. And they had at least a style factor. Yeah. Which even if the car doesn't have the same range, they had a muscle car that looked amazing. So it yeah. was like yeah. they had they have there's probably a corner of the market share of people who are going to say, yeah, I'm going to be paying twice as much to make this thing work in the way that a Tesla might. But look at this thing. This looks like a Mustang. It, it, part of what is holding places like Ford back is like they're outsourcing a lot of production of this. They're not doing it all in-house, hmm. like a vertical integrated stack, like what Tesla's doing. They're still doing it the old way. Some companies are kind of farming out their EV production to other companies, which is like not the way that you solve this problem. It's like a Band-Aid yeah. on top of an open wound. You're basically um, selling your brand name at that point. E- exactly. So it's like those kind of companies that are doing that are in deep doo-doo. <laughs> they're they're, they're going to have, a, they're either not going to be here or they're going to have a really long haul ahead of them. It There's going to be a bloodbath in the auto industry over the next decade. There's going to be companies that will just get swallowed up through acquisitions and other companies because they just can't sustain themselves anymore. Right. But the company that I'm the most excited for is VW. I mean, they really are pivoting hard and they're Mm. designing EVs from the ground up and they're building gigafactories and they, they, they clearly get it and they still have to bring their cars to market, which are going to start are starting to come out now and over the next couple of years. But it's, they're the one I'm most excited for because their cars look cool. Mm-hmm. They're built from the ground up as EVs. They should have good range, good prices. They should be very, very competitive. So it's there, there are companies doing it the right way. It's like I think GM, if they can just pick up their pace a little bit, will be fine in the long run. I think Ford's going to have a tough go for a while. But if they double down on their EV strategy, I think they can get through this. It's going to be like what we saw with the smartphone industry. You know, you had uh, Rim Blackberry laughing off the iPhone when it was announced. Mm-hmm. Where are they? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's we're watching that kind of play again. Yeah. And then we had we had companies that really were never never big players in the phone market. And a like Samsung, they made phones before smartphones, but they were never a huge player. And then the smartphone realm, Samsung is like as big as Apple. We're kind of probably see that happen here, where companies that were car companies that may have been slightly on the smaller side suddenly become a bigger player because they pivoted better. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Aside from some of the details in your video, like what the breakthroughs specifically were, you broke your video down into your three big takeaways. I wonder, was there a minor takeaway for you that was a, oh, that's cool, but not enough to say like, this is clearly a big pivotal thing about this this event? Really good question. I had a hard time breaking apart my feelings on this event. It was just a fire hose of information and it was hard Mm -hmm. to process. It was like you could have made an event out of just five things. Right. A random five things. And that would have been a, oh, wow. (laughs) But they came out and like unloaded like 20 ideas and different things that they were doing. As you said, this is, you didn't, you don't want to say they met the hype, but the hype as large as it was, wasn't, it seems from your perspective, like maybe they didn't match the hype, but they didn't disappoint. No, they did not disappoint. But there, there were people that were hyping things like they're going to come out with a solid state battery. It right. was like, it's like, dude, that's 10 years away. Right. I don't know where you're getting that idea from. So that's when right. people just, hype their wish list. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's people when people were, say like, they're going to announce that we already have a moon base. And like, I know you think it would be cool to have a moon base, but. Yeah. So many people got it in their heads that they were going to be announcing vehicle to grid because with these new batteries, they'll be able to be, you know, last a million miles. So they'll last longer. So they'll finally do vehicle to grid. And all along the way, I kept thinking, no, they're not. They're not going to do that. They've never shown any interest or signs that they were thinking about doing that again. <laughs> it was just like, no. And so when they came out and were asked about that in the event and Elon basically put the hammer down, was like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he's basically, the way they've talked about it or not talked about it shows they don't have interest in it. So why would they just suddenly roll this wish list feature out? They, they won't do that. Well, we can pivot this conversation if a minor takeaway emerges in your thinking is, as I ask my next question, feel free to, to touch on it. Past a minor takeaway, I was wondering, was there a negative in there that you were like, oh, I don't really think that that's the right note to hit. Either something about the technical aspects of this that you're like, well, that's, that's not so great. Or something about the framing of something that struck you as being a wrong note? No, I didn't have any problems with the framing of the things that they did. I thought they did a really good job. Just, it was a very engineering focused presentation, which I thought was fascinating. Mm -hmm. So it really was uh, just the facts. So the framing of it, I didn't have a problem with. I, I do have, I did raise that in the video, there are aspects to the way the cars are getting built and designed that not to keep going back to smartphones, but like it's the easiest, it's the easiest analogy. It really is. Yeah. I mean, they, they really are like the Apple of car manufacturers. And so the the analogies there are just too plentiful. And I did appreciate that you talked about the comparison to smartphone technology and how DIY and repair becomes more complicated, if not outright impossible. I used to be a mm -hmm. person who would happily tinker on the inside of a computer and swap out memory and you know, do stuff uh, with a little bit of light coding to make things operate the way I wanted to. Those days are mm -hmm. gone. You know, I'm I'm yep. now I'm now looking at these things the way that our dad would look at like the idea of getting to the back of the TV and monkeying around with it. Like like no, you don't touch that. That's it's not doable. And I did appreciate that you brought up that as an aspect of this, which is it's great that they do these things. The trade off is. If part of your car breaks, your car might be broken. Yeah, it's like um, on the most recent MacBooks, the way I understand this, if something goes wrong with the keyboard in or like the little touch bar, it's not like they can just pop it open and swap the touch bar out. They actually have to replace, for understand, basically the whole lid and top area of the computer has to basically get swapped mm. because the way it's constructed. It's totally repairable. But it's not repairable in a, mod, a very fine-tuned modular way right. <laughs> that you would keep these parts on hand. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little concerning to me. That's a, one of my one issues with it. But at the same time, smartphones and laptops and things like that are turning into appliances where yeah. you shouldn't need to tinker with it. It just... It's it because the way they're built, they actually are stronger. They last longer. They're thinner. They're lighter weight. It's right. There's less things that can break because there's, there's no moving yeah. parts and there's efficiencies. That is what I was seeing in the presentation is that they're making the cars in a much more affordable way. They're going to be lighter weight. They're going to be stronger. They're going to be, there's going to be so many benefits by what they're doing. It outweighs the cons, but there's though some of those cons are just kind of like cars getting accidents. <laughs> Yeah. What is this going to do to the cost of repairs? 
which could turn into higher insurance, which I doubt it will, but it's it's because Tesla has their own insurance plan that they're rolling out. So it's like, right. it, I don't think that's going to be a massive issue, but it's going to be a real sticking point for a lot of people out there that they can't tinker with their car in the same way that they could before. So that part was really kind of weighing on me a little bit. Yeah, and I understand what you're saying. It's not really a negative, but it is a, that's part of the paradigm shift. That's part of yes. the pivot. So now to transition to our usual end of podcast conversation, I'd like to talk a little bit about what we might be watching to pass away the hours of the pandemic when we're not on overnight road trips to see each other face to face and say, yeah, I won't be recording the podcast with you today. But we can do it tomorrow. <laughs> but we can do it tomorrow. I wanted to share a discovery I made once again on a free streaming app. And I've become a big fan of the free streaming apps. There's a lot of them out there. I really like Pluto TV and the assortment of shows that are available, movies that are available, in some cases are really kind of astounding. And what I really like about them is despite the fact that many of them rely on advertising in order to, to get the revenue, they become a way of resurfacing lost gems and mm -hmm. services like HBO Max and Netflix and Hulu, they all, and Amazon Prime now, all seem to be pushing very similar things to the surface. Current TV, current movies, and a lot of the well-known classics keep getting pushed to the top. And I think that these free services are finding a gap in the consumer market of here are the things you don't even know exist but might actually be similar to some of these well-known classics. I talked about a movie a few weeks ago, which had been compared very favorably with Casablanca. And it was a film from the same era, came out, I think, the same year, and it, and it hit, hit the same notes of, you know, World War II changing... Uh, the changing dynamics of who's a good guy and who's a bad guy and the noir aspects. And, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have been able to watch it if it weren't available on Peacock. So this movie is one that my girlfriend actually read about and discovered was available on Pluto. And only after watching it on Pluto, I discovered that it's actually available for free on YouTube. So hmm. it is very easy to find. And I think, Matt, you might be really interested in this because it stars Peter Falk. Okay, and you have it me. Is called, <laughs> you had me at hello. <laughs> it is called The Cheap Detective. It is a dumbfounding cast. Uh, Peter Falk, Anne-Margaret, Eileen Brennan, Sid Caesar, Stockard Channing, James Coco, Dom DeLuise, Louise Fletcher, John Houseman, Madeline Kahn, it just goes on and on. Abe Vigoda's in it, Paul Williams. It is, as you're watching it, a bunch of people who at the time would have been no names. Mm -hmm. But now we would look at them as like, oh, he's a major player. Like James Cromwell. He's been in everything. Here he is as a young man playing a Nazi. The thing about this movie that is so terrific, it's Neil Simon. So it has very quick wit in the dialogue. The plot is basically Casablanca but set in San Francisco. It is so Casablanca that it is literally the French resistance leader 
is hiding in San Francisco while the Nazis are also walking around. They're just Nazis walking around San Francisco. Hmm. And the plot is this guy needs to get papers so that he can open up a French bistro in Oakland. The wit of the dialogue is one thing. The absurdity of the moments and the, the puns that are bandied about is in the vein of Airplane without being a movie as absurd as Airplane. Okay. And what Peter Falk is doing is he already has his natural speech is already in the same vein, but he is doing a breathtaking homage to Humphrey Bogart. It is, <laughs> he's doing, he's doing Bogart's character from Casablanca. It's these series of like, how do you, how does he unravel a mystery that makes no sense because the the plot is so convoluted and twisted it makes no sense but it is so charming and so smart and so funny and thankfully it's from the early 70s and there was another movie that we tried to watch which is from the same era the same group of people it's also peter falk and it's called murder by death and we tried to watch it and it has peter sellers Sellers doing such a terrible yellow face. Oh no! That it 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 it's oh, in no. the same vein as Mickey Rooney in oh. Breakfast at Tiffany's, and oh, as no. classic as a movie like Breakfast at Tiffany's is considered, I can't watch that. It's too offensive. Yeah. And we yeah. tried watching Murder by Death, and the moment that Peter Sellers appeared doing this yellow face. <laughs> It, nope. <laughs> immediately we were just like, can't watch it. You know, it's, it's, we were already like, you know, is this maybe a little too dated? It's a little too off. And then the moment we saw that, we were like, we can't watch this. But this movie avoids those missteps. So it has, and, but it has performances. Uh, Madeline Kahn is brilliant in it as always. And this would have been for her a movie that would have been very recent. Af it would have been very recently after her stepping onto the scene with what's up doc, which was her first major film. So this would have been just a year or two after that. So, right. Um, she's still very you know, new to the scene, but she is very clearly a scene stealer. It's one of those movies that as you're watching it, you can see, Oh, it's got all these major names in it. But Madeline Kahn is just like, that's why she jumped into a different <laughs> level. And yeah, her comedic timing on, on things is so brilliant and so subtle. And Peter Falk is also astounding in he's playing a Columbo type character without being Columbo. Uh -huh. And there's a couple of moments where he gives withering glances to people around him that are just so funny. There's no dialogue. It's just him looking at somebody and you, you just can't help it. So it is a movie I heartily endorse. And yeah. uh, like I said, it's available on YouTube. So yeah, I'm gonna, and it's I'm free. Check that out. Yeah, it's free on YouTube with ads, but it is there, and I and I do recommend it. I love Peter Falk. I, I love Columbo. It's like he's a, it's such a great character, and he is such a good actor. What I'm going to bring up is <laughs> kind of like I did in the last uh, podcast. I'm not necessarily recommending this, <laughs> but it's what I've been watching. <laughs> All I can say is. Sweep the leg, Sean. Sweep the leg. I've been watching Cobra Kai on Netflix. It was it used to be a YouTube show, and then mm -hmm. uh, they sold it, I think, to Netflix. So I've been watching it. I'm a kid of the '80s. Karate Kid hit at just the right time for me. I was just the right age, and that movie is very 
near and dear to my heart. So I was all in on this when it, when it came out and when it was available on Netflix, I started watching it. It's funny to see all the same actors because the guy who played Johnny from the bad guy from the mm-hmm. original movie, William Zabka, Z- William Zabka. He's, mm-hmm. he's not, he's not the greatest actor. No, he's not bad. He's not the greatest actor. You can see why he didn't like go on to start in a thousand different movies. Mm. And Ralph Macchio is the same thing. He's not a bad actor, but you can also see why he didn't go on to be some massive star. But it's fun to see all these old characters grown up and how their lives have evolved. But the thing about the show, (laughs) I'm saying this to my wife, that makes it hard to watch is if you want to watch a show where it has some kind of some semblance, it looks like it's set in reality. You expect it to be based in how normal people would react in certain situations, you can't watch this show that way. <laughs> you have to watch this show as if it's a Western because okay. there is no law. There are people that beat each other up in parking lots, no ramifications. There are right. kids that get into fights in school, no ramifications. There's a guy that goes into a car dealership and beats up one of the, the salesmen, no ramifications. It's like every one of these people would have the cops called on them to be arrested for assault. It would like be done that mm-hmm. it would just be over so you have to look at this as it's like the wild west solving your own problems watching out for your homestead mm-hmm. it's like every it's that's the logic behind the show mm-hmm. and so if you can kind of get into that mindset of this is a western or a uh, samurai film and you settle your own problems mm-hmm. it's fun it's like right. it's it's a it's it's not great it's not the best yeah. acting it's not the best writing but it has moments of genuine like emotion and interesting messages that they're trying to convey about not letting go of the past. There's some really funny moments like with Johnny, who is the central character of the entire show. Mm -hmm. He was a jerk in high school and he's a jerk as an adult and they lean into that and they have fun with it and they make fun of him for it. There's a lot of winking at the camera with some of the stuff that they're doing. There was a scene where, um, uh, Ralph Macchio, his character, um, Daniel LaRusso, uh, opens up his, own dojo to compete with Cobra Kai. And he puts out a, basically like a Facebook ad. He creates a little video and puts it out there. And in the video, it's him and his like get up and he's walking through his little dojo and he's talking about what, you know, Miyagi Dojo is all about is blah, blah, blah. And it's playing, you know, like Japanese music in the background, stuff like that. (laughs) And they, what was great was they had somebody, well, have you haven't seen the comments in the video, have you, Daniel? And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, they're talking about cultural appropriation and well, that's racist <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. They're going to do this all this time. I was like, this is genius. It's like they are making fun of the fact that that's what people talk about Karate Kid, the original movie, yeah. as cultural appropriation. It's like it the show knows what it is. It knows right. it's it knows it's schlock, it knows it's soap opera, it knows mm-hmm. it's not showing what reality actually is, but it's fun. And so it's like, if you enjoyed Karate Kid and you're up just for some light entertainment, because the, sh- the episodes are like 25 minutes. It's like, it's like bubblegum. So it's like, if you're up for something like that, it's kind of fun. So let us know what you think. What have you been watching? How have you been whiling away the hours? And when was the last time you saw loved ones to say, I can't wait to talk to you on the phone? <laughs> you can reach out to us through Twitter. You can reach out to both of us at stilltbdfm. You can reach out to me directly at by Sean Farrell or to Matt at Matt Farrell or at Undecided MF. Please be sure to watch for the latest videos from Undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube and please do subscribe to him there. And you can find the podcast at stilltbd.fm 
You can subscribe to us through any major podcast provider like iTunes or Spotify. And please be sure to give us a rating, a review, and share us with your friends. It really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then we don't see each other face to face. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) We'll talk to you next time.